The deep state loves crises. In fact, crises are the primary mechanism they use to bring about their agenda. They make you scared, they keep you ignorant, and then a crisis comes along and presto. Stay tuned and I'll tell you more. So totalitarians have long understood that crises and fear and paranoia and terror and ignorance are absolutely critical to taking people's rights, taking people's money and lording it over them under the guise of helping them. Uh, and, and occasionally they'll actually say the quiet part out loud. Uh, I'm sure you guys remember Rahm Emanuel, who was uh, Barack Obama's chief of staff. Um, he actually said it openly. Listen. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And what I mean by that, it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. Right? It's an opportunity to do things that you didn't think you could do before, like make people carry vaccine passports, force people to use central bank digital currencies, have them eating cricket sandwiches, uh, and on and on. Give up their guns, right? Uh, silence them on social media. I mean, you name it, they love crises for that purpose. Now, a lot of times they will actually manufacture crises to advance this. And uh, the great French philosopher and lawmaker, Frederick Bastiat, uh, identified this back in the 1800s. Uh, he put it this way. He said that the totalitarians are always concocting the antidote and the poison in the same laboratory. Uh, and it's true. That's exactly what they do. They've been doing that for hundreds of years, and they will no doubt continue doing that as long as it's effective. Uh, and modern totalitarians have recognized this as well. Uh, we've talked before on this program about Lincoln Bloomfield. He was a member of the deep state headquarters in the United States, the Council on Foreign Relations. And uh, he was commissioned by the State Department, the Institute for Defense Analyses, to write a government report it was called A World Effectively Controlled by the United Nations. And his task was to figure out how do we get from uh, this world of independent, sovereign nation states that basically has existed uh, since the Treaty of Westphalia in the 1600s, how do we get from that to a world effectively controlled by the United Nations, effectively? Uh, and the answer, he says in his report, a grave crisis or war to bring about a sudden transformation in national attitudes sufficient for the purpose. Did you catch that? A grave crisis or war to change your attitudes. Uh, he goes on to say that the conditions most likely to accelerate this process, and I'm quoting here, a crisis, a war, or a brink of war situation so grave or commonly menacing that deeply rooted attitudes and practices are sufficiently shaken to open the possibility of a revolution in world political arrangements. And that is exactly what they do, folks. That's what they have been doing. Now, um, the World Economic Forum, and uh, you, of course, remember, uh, Mr. Klaus Schwab, we must have a great reset because of the COVID crisis and the racism crisis and all the other crises. Uh, yeah, that Klaus Schwab. Um, one of his co-conspirators, uh, his name is Peter Schwartz. He's the VP of Salesforce, bigwig within the World Economic Forum. Uh, he wrote a... a pretty cheesy book. Uh, I'm actually reading it right now, The Art of the Long View. Uh, and he is known as the world's leading scenario planner, the leading uh, future predictor, if you will. Uh, so he makes these predictions and he comes up with these scenarios. You know, here's the prediction. Here's all the different things that could happen or all the major possibilities of things that could happen if X happens. How do we guide things in the way that we want them? And so that's really, I think, what the World Economic Forum is doing. They're exploiting crises and manufacturing crises and 
then figuring out how to steer the response to those crises by manipulating people to get what they want. Uh, we actually saw this in the 2020 election, the uh, Transition Integrity Project, uh, funded by George Soros and others, uh, actually came up with these different scenarios, what could happen in the 2020 election, and how do we make sure we get the desired outcome, no matter which of these scenarios comes to pass, right? And so that's the kind of work that Peter Schwartz does. And, um, you know, th it's officially it's a relatively new discipline, but really the deep state has been doing this kind of thing for a very long time. I want to show you just a few examples. So in uh, 1907, the bankers of the world, the big bankers, at least the powerful bankers, caused a banking panic. They lent out so much money, they had almost no reserves left in the bank. Uh, and so they caused this panic. People got very concerned. They tried to take their money out and there was no money left to take out. Uh, and so the same mega bankers who caused this crisis said, hey, we know, let's have a solution to the crisis. We can do things that we didn't think we could do before. And so what happened? Well, they came up with, in uh, 1913, the Federal Reserve Act, which, of course, uh, was uh, supposedly to rein in the bankers to make sure they didn't cause any more crises like that. Now, if you know the story, these conspirators met on Jekyll Island. Uh, Ed Griffin exposes it in the book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island. So they met, uh, it was Paul Warburg, uh, Senator Nelson Aldrich, uh, Frank Vanderlip, Benjamin Strong. Uh, who else was there? Uh, a whole bunch of these uber-wealthy banking magnates and politicians. Uh, and they came up with this Federal Reserve Act. And then they actually said, hey, because of this crisis, we need a solution to the crisis. We need to rein in the bankers. And of course, it created a cartel that we still have to this day. And that, of course, would then later be used to cause more crises. I'll talk about those later. Uh, the next big crisis that was exploited by the deep state and maybe even manipulated by the deep state was World War One. Right. Uh, out of the ashes of World War One. And this was, you know, insiders behind the scenes manipulating things. Uh, we got the birth of the League of Nations. Right. Uh, that was supposed to be the, the nucleus for world government. Of course, it didn't work because the U.S. Senate refused to go along with it. So they created the Council on Foreign Relations to uh, uh, adjust our attitudes, so to speak. Uh, but they got much more than just the League of Nations. Right total restructuring of American society. Uh, they herded all the men into uh, uh, boats to send them to Europe so that they would go uh, fight and die in the war. And they said, oh, there's no men left to run the factories. Well, I guess all you women, you need to go now work in the factories. Oh, now there's no one home to watch the children. Oh, what shall we do? Hey, government schools, right? And actually after World War One is when most American children were finally sucked into these indoctrination centers called government schools. Uh, the Great Depression, is another perfect example of this, right? The Federal Reserve created the Great Depression. They flooded the economy with cheap currency, cheap credit. Uh, that was called the Roaring Twenties. Then they pulled the plug and they sucked currency out of the economy. And of course, this had the effect of allowing mega bankers to step in and buy up distressed assets, farms, homes, businesses, whatever, for pennies on the dollar. Uh, they basically robbed America blind using a crisis that they themselves, the same banking cartel that uh, had demanded the Federal Reserve, then ex used the Federal Reserve, exploited the Federal Reserve, caused another crisis, and then used that to buy up basically everything that wasn't nailed down and some things that were nailed down. Then the government, uh, under the leadership of FDR, went totally wild on expanding the government, doing things that you didn't think you could do before. 
right? Like the Social Security Administration, the Federal Housing Administration, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the Civilian Conservation Corps, the Works Progress Administration, the Civil Works Administration, the Farm Security Administration, the National Industrial Recovery Act of 1933, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation, the Tennessee Valley Authority, and the list goes on and on. They never could have done that without a major crisis precipitating it. And guess what? It was one of the most dramatic expansions and fastest expansions of government power that we have ever seen. Now, Ben Bernanke actually admits that the Federal Reserve played a critical role in bringing about this crisis. Listen. The Federal Reserve uh, contributed to the Great Depression in a couple of ways. Um, first of all, uh, the Fed was uh, slow to um, uh, ease monetary policy, to use monetary policy to provide support for the economy. Uh, instead, uh, by keeping monetary policy too tight for too long, uh, the Fed allowed prices actually to fall. There was a period of deflation where prices were falling very sharply, which turned out to be a very negative thing uh, for the economy. Um, so monetary policy was too tight, too long. It was not supportive of the economy, did not keep prices stable. All righty. So uh, whoever believes these people are just merely idiots, I've got some really nice beachfront property in Nebraska. Call me after the show. Uh, World War II, another really, really great example of this, right? In the ashes of World War II, we got the United Abominations, better known as the United Nations. We got the International Monetary Fund. We got the World Bank. It gave birth to the Proto-European Union, right? The, the um, institutions and agreements that would eventually give birth to this uh, European Soviet, this regional totalitarian government. Uh, it was born in the ashes of World War II with the European coal and steel community, which eventually gave way to the European economic community, and then the European community, and then the European Union, right? All this was born in the aftermath of World War II. Now, what they don't teach you in school, and what the fake media won't tell you, is that the Wall Street financiers, so many of them that have been involved in so many of these manufactured crises, were actually subsidizing Adolf Hitler throughout his rise to power, and even once he was in power. If you don't believe me, you need to read a copy of Professor Anthony Sutton. He was a Stanford historian. Uh, he had a book on this, and uh, he proves using government documents, corporate documents, etc., that the mega banks of Wall Street aided and abetted the rise of Adolf Hitler. In fact, uh, even one of the Bush family dynasty members, uh, Senator Prescott Bush, uh, he got roped up in this as a result of his participation in Union Bank of New York. Uh, he was actually busted under the Trading with the Enemy Act. So you have uh, mega banks like uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, Rockefeller, you had Standard Oil participate, National City Bank, Chase and Manhattan Banks, the Kuhn Loeb and Company, and more involved in financing Adolf Hitler, helping build Adolf Hitler's war machine, and then once everything is ruined and destroyed, you say, oh, that was really terrible. Um, we should just have a United Nations, and everybody needs to participate. We should just have an international monetary fund and a world bank, right? That is how they do, folks. Now, think about the uh, mass migration that we saw uh, really pick up steam in uh, about 2014, 2015, millions of refugees flooding from the Middle East into the Western world. Uh, this was all, of course, by design. These were manufactured crises. The Obama administration 
the uh, German government, the French government, the European Union, NATO, right? They go in and they destroy all these countries. How about uh, Afghanistan, Iraq? Uh, they bombed Libya to smithereens. Then they started up civil war in Syria. So they, you're basically burning down all these uh, people's houses, all these people's countries. And then they say, oh, how terrible that there is this crisis. Well, why don't you guys all just come live in Europe and America and we'll give you free houses and free health care and all the rest of it, right? Uh, so we've seen this over and over and over again. Of course, the U.S. government famously uh, supported the al-Qaeda terrorists and the Mujahideen and the Taliban in Afghanistan. And whoops, turns out that wasn't such a great idea. Now we got war all over the Middle East. Now, what else did they get out of that crisis? Well, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations openly promoting an European Union model for unifying the Middle East, right? Oh, the crisis, look at all these wars that, oops, yeah, we kind of caused. Uh, but hey, if we just make them all give up their sovereignty and live under a Middle Eastern Union, uh, hey, that, that'll that solve the problem, right? So that's how they do, folks. They cause these crises, then they exploit these crises, and then they give you their fake solution. Uh, and they're doing the same thing with this mass migration, right? And, and now, if this was truly humanitarian, first of all, you wouldn't burn down other people's countries. Second of all, you wouldn't fly them to Germany. You wouldn't send them to Sweden, right? You could you could take care of 25 to 50 times more people if you supported them in Lebanon or in Jordan than taking them to Europe. Now, would you rather support 25 to 50 people or one by bringing them to Europe, right? And they say, oh, well, actually, it's because we need more workers. Well, that falls apart as well. Uh, almost all of these migrants are going to cost the public treasury money long into the future. We actually have no idea when they may become net contributors to the public treasury. So that's not going to work. Now, the, the uh, UN migration czar, Peter Sutherland, uh, quite a piece of work, this man. Uh, he's passed away now. Used to be with Goldman Sachs. Surprise. Uh, he actually said in a UN interview, uh, posted on the UN's website, by the way, I will ask the governments to cooperate, to recognize that sovereignty is an illusion. Sovereignty is an absolute illusion that has to be put behind us. The days of hiding behind borders and fences are long gone. We have to work together and cooperate together to make a better world. And that means taking on some of the old shibboleths, taking on some of the old historic memories and images of our own country and recognizing that we are a part of humankind. Right? And uh, and so that's what they're doing, right? Uh, and it's happening now, right? Brits are a minority in London. Swedes are a minority in Malmo. Germans are a minority in Frankfurt. Belgians are a minority in Brussels, right? How many European cities do the natives have to become a minority in before somebody says, wait a minute here, what is happening? Well, one man actually has pointed out what's happening here, uh, the prime minister of Hungary, uh, Viktor Orban. Uh, and this is what he said, uh, translated into English. He says, it's forbidden to point out that the masses arriving from other civilizations endanger our way of life, our culture, our customs, and our Christian traditions. It's forbidden to point out that this is not an accidental and unintentional chain of consequences, but a pre-planned and orchestrated operation, a mass of people directed toward us. He goes on to say it's forbidden to say that in Brussels they are concocting schemes to transport foreigners here as quickly as possible and to settle them here among us. It is forbidden to point out that the purpose of settling people here is to reshape the religious and cultural landscape of Europe and to re-engineer its foundations, thereby eliminating the last barrier to internationalism, the nation-state. And uh, boy, have we seen this modus operandi over and over and over again. Of course, you guys remember we've talked about here very extensively the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation report, uh, the lockstep scenario where they just imagined a hypothetical novel virus coming out of China that would need global tyranny to fight. Uh, we all remember uh, Event 201 funded by the World Economic Forum, the Bill and Melinda Gates of Hell Foundation and Johns Hopkins University, where they just imagined, you know, what might happen if a hypothetical novel coronavirus 
virus came out of Asia and required global tyranny and censorship to stop. Right. So what did they get out of that crisis? Mass vaccinations, uh, vaccine passports, chaos in the supply chain, the ability to engage in massive election fraud, uh, huge censorship, rigging the algorithms of the big tech companies, and of course, the Great Reset as the clown running the World Economic Forum says. Now, same thing with Russia and Ukraine, folks, right? Uh, when Lincoln Bloomfield talked about using war to advance globalism, he was not kidding, okay? Uh, Putin, I believe, is uh, very much a part of this. And uh, it actually made me think of, uh, just the other day, I was reading Foreign Affairs. This is the uh, garbage propaganda mouthpiece of the Council on Foreign Relations, Deep State Headquarters. Uh, and it's got an article in it by Olaf Scholz, the new leader of Germany. And uh, this guy is a well-known communist. His whole background as a youth activist in the socialist movements, communist movements, East German mass murdering, brutal dictatorship. Uh, he's a well-known former communist, just like Angela Merkel before him. And of course, Putin was a KGB officer in Germany during his younger years as a brutal operative for the KGB, one of the most brutal agencies that's ever existed in the world. And um, he's got this crazy article in Foreign Affairs. This is going to appear in the uh, January, February issue of 2023. So it'll be out um, soon. And uh, in the thing, he said, you know, Putin's basically this big idiot. He just didn't realize that invading Ukraine was going to make the European Union so much stronger. We're going to build our own European Union military and we're going to integrate all the, the nations of Europe into this one armed force. Uh, and then he says this. I think this is critical. I want to read it to you. And uh, word for word here says, uh, as the EU moves toward this goal, the goal of uh, social welfare, public infrastructure, blue, 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 um, expanding the EU, deepening the EU, right, getting rid of what little is left of national sovereignty. He says, as the EU moves toward that goal, its adversaries will continue to try to drive wedges between its members. Putin has never accepted the EU as a political actor. After all, the EU, a union of free, sovereign, democratic states based on the rule of law, is the antithesis of his imperialistic, autocratic kleptocracy. And I thought that was really interesting. See, that'll go right over most people's heads. But if you know anything about Marxist strategy, you know the Hegelian dialectic is uh, one of the most important strategies they use to advance their goals. So you have a synthesis that comes out of a conflict between the thesis and the antithesis. So here he's saying Putin is the antithesis, the EU is the thesis, and what comes out of that is, of course, the synthesis. Now, the idea that Putin has never accepted the EU is demonstrably factually completely false. Uh, he wrote an op-ed for Izvestia, and it's today you can find it on uh, the Kremlin's diplomatic mission to the European Union. And I want to quote from it. You can see whether Putin has ever accepted the EU. It says, the establishment of the customs union and the common economic space is proceeding at a much faster pace because we could draw on the experience of the EU and other regional associations. He's talking about the emergence of his Eurasian Union that he's building. Uh, and then he goes on to say in there, we suggest a powerful supranational association capable of becoming Becoming one of the poles in the modern world and serving as an efficient bridge between Europe and the dynamic Asia-Pacific region. Alongside other key players and regional structures, such as the European Union, the Eurasian Union will help ensure global sustainable development. Oh, really, Mr. Putin? Uh, he says this regional regime will be based on World Trade Organization principles, and he says the Eurasian Union will be based on universal integration principles as an essential part of a greater Europe, united by shared values of freedom, democracy, and market laws. And he goes on to say, and I'm quoting here again, 
Russia and the EU agreed to form a common economic space and coordinate economic regulations without the establishment of supranational structures back in 2003. In line with this idea, we proposed setting up a harmonized community of economies stretching from Lisbon to Vladivostok, a free trade zone, and even employing more sophisticated integration patterns. We also pursue, uh, proposed pursuing coordinated policies in industry, technology, the energy sector, education, science, and also eventually to scrap visas. Oh, really? So Putin has never accepted the EU, right? Or you're using a thesis, antithesis, crisis to come up with a synthesis that'll be this freakish totalitarian system. And so folks, that's what they do. They're using crises. They're using uh, deception. They're relying on your ignorance and your fear to weaponize these crises. And they're going to come up with more. We might do another episode just uh, in, in the not too distant future, just looking at some of the crises that they're preparing for us right now. Currency crisis, food crisis, um, uh, energy crisis coming soon, right? Uh, uh, so many different crises they're cooking up. Uh, economic crisis, market crisis, climate crisis, which we've been hearing about nonstop, right? All these crises are either fake or they're engineered or they are being uh, manipulated and exploited to advance these agendas. So folks, uh, this is deadly serious. Our freedom and our country and uh, everything that is good depends on understanding this and countering this. So thank you for tuning in. I'm Alex Newman. This is Behind the Deep State. Until next time, God bless you all. Imprisonment, forced labor, permanent separation from my family, perhaps death. I knew what could happen to people who were caught trying to defect, but the watchtowers stood yards away. The possibility of a new life in a different world, one without tyranny, was within sight. The West. I thought of the rewards no longer crushed under the boot of communism. I would work and make money, no longer restrained by the chains of collectivism. I would say what I wanted, without fear of spies and informants nearby. I would be free. The frozen rain and Romanian mud sipped through my gloves and cloths. I fantasized about the fire burning in the wood stove of my parents' home, but I pushed those thoughts from my mind, closed my eyes, and waited for the cover of the darkness. Get Defector, a true story of tyranny, liberty, and purpose by Mark Hobavkovich with Paul Dragu. A thrilling page-turner that will remind you how precious yet vulnerable freedom is. Available at shopjbs.org or Amazon. For a limited time, get 20% off your entire order using promo code DEFECTOR20 when you purchase DEFECTOR at shopjbs.org.